Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fat for Weight Loss Show. My name is Aaron and in this episode, it is my pleasure to be interviewing Chris Irvin, the ketologist. He has been uh, following a ketogenic diet for three years now and he holds a master's degree in exercise and nutritional science and has transitioned his career towards exploring and sharing ketogenic research to do his part in the growth of our health and wellness knowledge and awareness. Chris is a fantastic guy and we see it eye to eye on a lot of different topics, which is probably the reason why I recorded, uh, why I loved recording this episode so much. Uh, we talk about everything from the ketogenic diet and how it applies to sport and fitness, what the three phases of weight loss plateaus are, and just generally informative information on the different approaches to the ketogenic diet as a whole. An important food, a healthy food, and a basic food that can be served in more than a hundred different ways. Hello and welcome to the Fat for Weight Loss Show. My name is Aaron and I am your host for today's episode. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, let me introduce myself. Firstly, I am from Australia, if you hadn't already guessed from the accent, and I run a ketogenic food blog called Fat for Weight Loss, found at fatforweightloss.com.au. And the aim of this podcast is to dig into the world of nutrition, fitness, and everything in between. I'm a nutritional therapist and an advanced sports exercise nutritional advisor. However, I'm not a doctor, so I cannot give you any medical advice. This also applies to any guests involved in this show. Please make sure you consult your doctor before making any changes to your diet or medication. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Fat for Weight Loss for delicious keto recipes, meal plan videos, and drool-worthy food photography. So let's get right into it. So please welcome to the Fat for Weight Loss show. Today, I'm really excited to be talking to the ketologist with Chris Irvin. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today. Thank you for having me on. I'm very excited about this one. Oh, man, this is this is going to be a great episode. I think, uh, you know, because I've been following you for, for a long time now, actually. Like, I, I remember seeing your posts on Instagram. We were sort of growing at the same rate, and mm-hmm. um, and you, you always had these fantastic graphics. So if you don't follow uh, the ketologist on Instagram, definitely go and do that because he's got some fantastic graphics where it sort of explains everything about the ketogenic diet or the particular topic that you're talking about just in one simple picture. And uh, yeah, I think that that's just such a great idea. How did you actually oh. come up with that? Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, the the thing, it, it kind of took me a while to come up with that. But the biggest thing for me was when I was kind of going through grad school, I was reading a lot of research. And, uh, you know, I started noticing with all the hours I spent doing research that, you know, there's no way that other people were going to either be able to put in that amount of time or want to actually put it in or even if they did be able to understand it. So I started kind of with the goal of like, how can we get this, this big, long, you know, research paper, how do we get this broken down so somebody can understand it in 30 seconds? And, you know, it kind of took a while. When I first started doing it, a lot of my graphics were really lengthy, like super wordy, and people weren't, <laughs> yeah. you know, reading them. And, and I still have that problem at time because I, I, I often, you know, fall victim of being an over-explainer. Uh, but, you know, after a while of doing it, I kind of got to the point where I was able to make it more of a snapshot so people could understand it a little quicker. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. They're they're always um on on good topics as well. So so you. so you've got a master's degree. What is the master's degree in? Is it in uh, nutrition and science? Is that sort of your area? 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's exercise and nutrition science, but uh, during my time in, in grad school, I put more of an emphasis on the nutrition. I uh, wasn't too too much of a fan of the biomechanics and exercise side of things, so I stuck more <laughs> to the nutrition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, tell, I uh, see where that's that's coming from. So, so uh, you know, uh, the first question I like to ask people is that, it, it you know, it's usually a little bit of an icebreaker, but I, I just, like, bombarded you with a whole bunch of instagram questions so <laughs> we'll keep we'll, we'll we'll stick with the the question we've got though um uh, can you tell us a little bit about you know when you went through college uh how you had a career in sport and and what those sports were yeah so i went to for my undergrad i, I went to a really small school uh you know it was just a, a small division three school but i had the the luxury of getting to play two sports there. So I played um, basketball for four years there, and then I played baseball for my last two years. Um, oh, awesome. So it was fun, you know, getting to go to a small school like that kind of gave me the ability to do both. So it was a really fun time. Um, what position did you play in basketball? Well, it's, it's kind of funny. So in basketball, like in high school and everything, I was always kind of like a guard forward. Uh, you know, I was a, a guy that was, I scored a lot and things like that. And then when I got into college, I kind of, uh, I don't know if it was from, you know, starting to lift weights and stuff like that. I just wasn't very good scorer. So I, I kind of turned into more of a defensive guy. And, uh, you know, a couple of years we had some of our big guys got hurt. And, you know, I'm only about 6'3". So, you know, in, in college terms, that's not very big. But, uh, you know, so I actually had to slide in because of those injuries. I had to slide into the, you know, the 4-5 spot and, and guard some of the bigger guys. So it was uh, definitely <laughs> an adjustment, but it, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's crazy. I, I used to play basketball, um, uh, not not in college, but, but a little bit earlier than that. And I was 6'5". Mm-hmm. From when I was like age sixteen, <laughs> so I oh, played wow. basketball from like sixteen to eighteen or nineteen or something, and always played center just because I was I was much much taller than anyone else in that yeah. age bracket. <laughs> That's kind of the bummer about when you if you get tall too early with basketball is that they make you a, a post player and then you don't get to learn to do the other things. <laughs> exactly, yeah, and then you yeah. go play with the big guys, <laughs> the big guys, and you you end up playing, uh, you know, <laughs> you end up dribbling a whole lot more than you used to. Yeah, you're not a big guy anymore with some of those other yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so um, you know, uh, what sort of got you into the world of the ketogenic diet, and um, and you know, what what did it look like when you started, and what does it kind of look like now? Yeah, that's a great question. So, the first time I ever even heard about keto. I was down, so I went to University of Tampa for grad school, and they were having a conference there. This would have been, I guess I was back in 2015, uh, early 2015, they had a conference that was on, it was just like a sports nutrition conference, and you know, they had, they actually had a couple keto guys there. They had uh, Dr. Jeff Volick spoke there, oh, wow. and uh, Dr. D'Augustino was there. Oh. And so, yeah, it was it was awesome. So the, my first time ever hearing about it was hearing it directly from Dr. D'Augustino. And I always laugh because I didn't know who he was at the time because I didn't know the space. I was kind of more in, uh, at the time, I was a little bit more in the strength and conditioning side of things and, and not as much in the nutrition side. So I remember, I'll never forget that after the conference, I went up and I asked him some question about keto. I don't remember what it was. I just remember it being very dumb. Uh, it was something that looking back now, I would have been ashamed to have ever asked Dr. D'Augustino <laughs> that question. Um, but yeah, so that was my, my first introduction to it. So that was in, I guess it would have been January of 2015. And then I started school in, uh, I think it was May or June of 2015. And keto was one of the things that we covered in, in the nutrition class kind of day one. 
And mm. it, really, I just became fascinated by it. We were talking a lot more about it for sport at the time. So I, you know, that after first day of class, I dove right into it. I went to the grocery store and I started. And um, at the time, it looked a lot different than it did now. It was uh, mostly like a red meat diet. It was, uh, I was eating, you know, probably, I was used to that traditional, uh, you know, eating every two to three hours. So I was eating at like five in the morning before I would go train. I would have like bacon and eggs. And then uh, I would have, you know, a little bit of lunch after that where I'd have like broccoli and, and beef and cheese. And then uh, dinner was usually some sort of like steak and, and, and you know, steak and uh, broccoli or, you know, asparagus or something like that. So it looked a lot different back then. It, there wasn't really an emphasis as, and, and food quality wasn't really an emphasis at the time. It was mostly just, you know, whatever had a lot of fat in it and, and you know, didn't have carbs in it. That's what I was eating. Um, I was eating, you know, a lot more peanut butter as a snack and, and you know, having <laughs> yeah. a lot more protein shakes and um, and then kind of as I got into it, I, I started incorporating more fasting. So now I fast, uh, you know, most days I fast at least 16, somewhere between 16 and 20 hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I have a lot more of an emphasis on getting, um, you know, some more omega-3s in. So just trying to get more fish in the diet. Um, you know, I, I switch. I don't consume peanut butter anymore. I try to stick more to, you know, some of the other nut butters like almond butter or you know, occasionally cashew butter. Um, and you know, I really don't do the protein shakes or anything like that. And, and my meal frequency is a lot different. You know, typically, I'm you know eating maybe I'm eating one meal a day, or maybe I'm doing two, where it's a you know a late lunch and then a dinner. So it's uh, it's definitely evolved a lot over the years, to say the least. Yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> it's funny you say that. You know, you went through a period of time where you were basically just removing the carbohydrates, still mm-hmm. using the protein shakes, and you know, sort of keeping that meal frequency quite often. Was it a natural? progression to move to a state of intermittent fasting like with the 16 and 20 hours that you sort of do now or was it something that you'd researched and then thought you'd just try it out and then if it, it helped you move into that position a little bit easier yeah well it was it was kind of a hard transition at first because uh, you know, come researching and doing a lot of uh, learning of nutrition in my undergrad, it was very traditional. So, you know, there's definitely an emphasis on breakfast being the most important meal of the day. And, you know, mm. you have to have it in. And that's kind of what I lived by. So it was and I've always been a big breakfast guy. So it wasn't something that happened naturally. Uh, you know, it was more of hearing the research and seeing a lot more people talking about it. You know, after diving into uh, you know, at the time, actually, when I was at University of Tampa, I was in the lab and there was a, a student in the lab who that was kind of his area of research was fasting and, and he was really starting to do it. And I had come across fasting a lot because of its, you know, big comparison to a ketogenic diet and how they're very similar. So, you know, seeing his results and he, he had lost a ton of weight and he wasn't even doing keto. He was only fasting. He, he hadn't mm. even gotten to, we were kind of opposite. He was a fasting guy and I was a keto guy, but we, we weren't, <laughs> we, nobody had, you know, put him together yet. So uh, after seeing his results and, and stuff, and he told me how great his mental clarity was and all this stuff, I was like, man, that's something I want to try. So it, at the time when I started it, it wasn't too challenging because I was already keto for a long time. So I was mm. already experiencing a lot of that satiety where, you know, it wasn't really hard to cut out that first meal of the day. Um, I think when I started fasting, what I did was I started by doing like 12 to 14 hours and then I kind of pushed that to like 14 to 16 and then 16 to 18. And, and then I started experimenting with some of the longer, like, you know, three, three day fasts and stuff like that. 
Um, and then from there, I just, uh, I always tell people like, I just became addicted to the way that I felt, you know, mentally when I was doing it, where like, I always kind of make the joke, like if somebody told me tomorrow that fasting was bad, I'd probably still do it just because I feel so much better when I do it. (laughs) Um, so it was, once I started it, there was no going back. Yeah. It's, um, it's a, it's a fantastic progression to make when you are actually keto adapted, because I, I'm really not sure how, um, anyone could do it if they weren't fat adapted. It would just Mm -hmm. sort of like be a little bit of torture i guess really so so putting together keto and fasting is is just uh, an unreal combination but i wanted to just jump back to when you were doing you know sports in your undergrad what was and i guess like transitioning into the ketogenic diet from uh you know when you went into uh, doing it based on the ketogenic diet were there any things that you noticed when you first started the ketogenic diet for performance and um and what were some of the hurdles that you found and how did you sort of overcome those yeah i think the biggest one for me was um was strength but i've also you know at the it was really hard to assess what was causing the the deficit in strength because Mm. i also lost a lot of weight when i started so i think when i started keto i was um i was probably around like 200 and 10 212 pounds something like that and then i after doing keto for a while i got down to probably like one 185 190 or something like that and uh so it was really hard to tell like you know was it keto that was causing the decrement in strength or was it the fact that i lost 20 to 30 pounds that was causing it Mm -hmm. um i never really knew but it's it recovered over time which was great i you know i had to start training differently like i'd never really trained for strength specifically i'd always kind of trained you know more in the higher rep range um so you know after seeing a little bit of a a dip in my strength numbers i just started training a little bit more for strength Mm. and uh and and i saw that it, it ended up bouncing back as i got more adapted but really that was the only thing um endurance you know as most people experience was through the roof um, very, very kind of shortly into it. It didn't take long for me to get that boost in endurance. Um, so th- I think really the only thing that was, was really an issue was that strength. Yeah, that's interesting actually, because I, um, uh, I probably found the opposite when I first moved to the ketogenic diet, cause when I was doing it, I was cycling pretty heavily. And mm-hmm. so <clears throat> when, uh, in the type of cycling that I was doing, it was like flat out <laughs> all the time, sort of, you know, uh, the, the group that I was riding with and, and will hopefully go back to riding with this week, fingers crossed. <laughs> nice. Um, but, uh, you know, you sort of, you sort of went out for 30 Ks and you basically went as hard as conceivably possible and uh, when I first switched to the ketogenic diet for me um, I was always being left left off the back and uh, just being left behind basically Um, and you know so the the actual like really high effort uh, in intensity in the endurance space was not there for me but if I moved back down in the intensity rank like I did with the keto marathon um, I could sort of run for a very long time without tapping too much into the glycogen stores and and being able to uh, push your endurance as as physically far as possible really um have you ever done any type of endurance or is it mostly been like uh, pretty explosive strength related uh exercise yeah i mean for endurance the only 
it's kind of it depends on what your take is on endurance so i play a lot of basketball still so i play basketball like three times a week for you know two two and a half hours in the morning Mm. so um that to me it's kind of a a mixture between the two it's a little bit of like you know high intensity but there's there's an endurance component to it um, but other than that, you know, it's, it's you know, the occasional run every once in a while and stuff like that. But for the most part, um, I stick to a lot just sports like basketball and stuff. So that was pro- is probably the, the extent of my endurance. Um, not as much, you know, long-term or like long-distance cycling or running or anything like that. <laughs> None of the crazy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I used to. So when I was in high school, I used to be uh, a cross-country runner. And, you know, that was before I understood that things like basketball and cross country probably don't go together because, of the, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're, you're training your muscles very differently. Mm. And uh, and so I, I really enjoyed it at the time, but I started developing a lot of knee problems just from probably mm. not great running form and, and the impact and stuff like that. So um, it was kind of one of those things where actually I enjoy running, uh, you know, not crazy distance. Like I enjoy being in that like three to five mile range occasionally. Um, but it's kind of one of those things where looking at the longe- longevity of my you know, physical abilities, I, I kind of only include it every once in a while and try not to overdo it so I don't have any of those uh, pains come back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, definitely playing basketball. Uh, knees and ankles are like uh, something that you need to take care of. And running yes. is it can, can be uh, one of those things that destroys them pretty quickly um, right yeah so so it, it's it's always interesting you know sort of looking into the uh the sports side of the ketogenic diet because most people are out there utilizing the ketogenic diet for weight loss and trying to mm-hmm. reverse you know maybe age-related diseases or uh, anything that can be controlled by blood sugar levels and insulin and all that sort of stuff um and and uh, it's interesting that you you were saying before that you're incorporating a lot of fasting as well because i was going back over some of the videos that i did with uh, Dr. Berry and and Dr. Berg and and um, yeah, and Dr. Berg in particular was saying how the RDAs of particular nu- nutrients um, can actually be uh, lowered when you start fasting because your body becomes more efficient at uh, not only creating uh, you know the things out of those nutrients that you get from the food in your shorter eating window, but it you also get. Um, where am I going with this? <laughs> you also get a benefit from autophagy and a whole bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so for you, what 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 um, have you seen have been the benefits of fasting? And is it more of a scientific realm to fasting, or is it more just the psychological and the feeling from fasting? Um, I definitely think that it's it's physiological. I think that there's a there's a component to it that is. Um, that's not just mental. So, you know, obviously the, the one is that I think when you combine fasting with the ketogenic diet, you're going to get a little bit more of a robust increase in your ketone levels, which, Mm -hmm. you know, that can help in so many different ways. Um, but the other thing I, I think, um, you know, the, the autophagy, like, uh, did you say that was Dr. Berg that was speaking about that? Yeah, it was. Yep. Yeah, the autophagy is, is definitely something that um, is very interesting to me. Now, the only thing that I'm, I'm not sure about is, is how much you're experiencing that when you're doing intermittent fasting versus um, a little bit longer, you know, the three to five day fasting where you're going to get mm. a little bit more of that. 
Um, but I think the the biggest thing is probably just that that increase in ketones and the the stability of your blood glucose because you know one of the things that we know is that even in eating a ketogenic meal uh, you can still have a response in your your blood glucose and your insulin levels especially if it's a pretty calorically dense meal so um, I think that's another component is that you know while you're fasting you're just getting that glucose and insulin level uh, even lower and which is kind of going to allow you to drive that ketone level up a little bit higher so I think that's kind of the the biggest thing where um but you know like you said there there probably is a psychological component to it too um i've always noticed that after i have a meal i tend to be a little bit hungrier after so you know one of the things like i noticed if i have breakfast in the morning it may hinder my work um in the the early morning to afternoon because i might be experiencing a little bit of hunger that might throw me off so which you know I kind of think is a result of like like I was saying the physiological response of maybe getting that slight glucose increase or something like that. Um, so it, it's kind of a, a battle between both the physiological and the psychological, but um, I definitely think there's a component of both. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and uh, and with the fasting, now this is something that I've <clears throat> sort of uh, thought about for a long time, and I and I, I I might go sort of a little bit deeper with this in a in a in another video or something, but. Okay. Um, uh, a lot of people use coffee when they're fasting, and I remember um, I think it was Dr. Rhonda Patrick who was talking about the 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 effects of caffeine can actually pr- you know release uh, things from your organs, maybe like it's your kidneys or your liver or whatever it is that can interrupt a fast. But the 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 general goal for most people when they are fasting or they're intermittent fasting is that they're trying to lose weight and so uh you know having coffee probably isn't going to affect that but are you someone who does drink coffee during a fast and have you ever experienced a insulin bump or a blood sugar level response from having caffeine from the cortisol that sort of like spikes the insulin a bit yeah so um, I actually follow a, a little bit of a different fasting approach where I'm typically doing a fat fast um, mm. where I do, you know, I, I don't call it bulletproof coffee anymore because people, the way people do bulletproof coffee now, they're doing coffee with like 500 calories of fat in it. <laughs> and I just, I don't support that. So um, I, I do more of a, you know, one serving of MCTs in the coffee type of thing. Yep. But the biggest thing is that I'm not doing it for weight loss. I'm doing it for cognitive performance. So yep. I always tell people that where if you're looking for your, you know, if you're looking for the best results from your fasting, having nothing, just water is going to give you the best results. But if you're looking for a more sustainable approach, then, you know, having coffee may be something that you need to, you know, give yourself, uh, you know, a little bit more energy if you're suffering from fatigue. And then, you know, having the fat in the coffee is, is something that can give you the, you know, the energy and the satiety if you need it. So it's kind of always that balance between what's optimal and what's sustainable when it comes to fasting. Mm. Um, so, you know, I am somebody that incorporates it, but I have found um, when I was in grad school, I did a little bit of self-experimentation where I was wearing uh, one of those Dexcom meters, which oh, you know, yeah. tests the, the blood glucose in real time. And I did see whenever I would have a cup of coffee, I would get a slight increase in glucose. Um, it was usually somewhere between like 10 and 15 points, which that's not crazy, but definitely enough that it could, um, you know, it could cause a dip in glucose levels and things like that. Um, but I haven't seen anything crazy with that. So 
Um, one of the things I do always tell people is that if you are going to do coffee with the fasting, I think it's worth waiting till after you, um, after you know you, you've been awake for a few hours, so you don't interrupt that, uh, you know, that cortisol spike and that that natural circadian rhythm. If you know, because caffeine too early in the morning could play a role in that. Um, but I have noticed that it can cause a little bit of an increase. But I think it also it depends on the amount of caffeine. Uh, you know, sometimes if we go to Starbucks, the cup of coffee we get might have. Uh, you know, twice, two or three times the amount of coffee or amount of caffeine that we may be getting if we're having a cup of coffee at home. So I think that's a, another role that uh, plays a fact. This episode is brought to you by the Complete Keto Diet. Have a think about this for a second. How long will it take you to reach your health goals? Is it four weeks? Is it three months? Is it six months? Is it a year? Maybe you don't need to lose weight, but you're struggling with the whole lifestyle thing that everyone keeps talking about. Who is going to be around long enough or be committed enough to you to help you achieve your health goals? That answer is me. I created the Complete Keto Diet specifically to help 10,000 people achieve their health goals over the next five years. That means I'm there for you in the beginning, through the plateaus, and the maintenance of your journey towards better health. But why 10,000 people? Well, simply put, I want to bring you the most actionable and realistic ways to get your health right using the ketogenic diet. But I also want to make sure that everyone succeeds and nobody gets left behind. Your name is very important to me. So how does it all work? Well, this is done with a ketogenic meal plan that is sent to your inbox every single week. You might have seen some of my YouTube meal plan videos on creating simple ketogenic meal plans, which are getting very close now to a million views alone. The advantage of my meal plans over others is that you are given simple recipes with simple ingredients with a great variety of food. You won't be eating the same meal every day and best of all I include substitutions for dairy-free, nut-free and other types of allergens. Plus all of the ratios are calculated for you. You'll be saving money with shopping lists that only include the items that you actually need. Not only does it come with weekly meal plans, but we do a weekly coaching session with everyone so that you can get your answers solved right away. You also get exclusive tools and resources, exclusive deals on all your favorite keto-friendly products that will probably save you more money than you think, plus a community of people to help you always succeed and keep you accountable every single step of the way. Sustainability is the key to long-term success with the ketogenic diet. I am not here to help you drop as much weight as possible in a three-month period. I am here for life. If you think this is what you've been looking for, I offer a seven-day free trial for anyone who is looking to see if it's the right fit for them. I offer steep discounts for six-month and yearly memberships that include one-on-one -on -one sessions with me as well, so you'll always have the answers. Head on over to www.complete ketodiet.com and enter the code podcast to receive 15% off the membership. Oh, and did I mention that it, everything is in Australian dollars? Hurrah! Go to www.completeketodiet.com and enter the code podcast to start moving towards your health goals today. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and I think I'm probably going to be the guinea pig who, who trials to see how many cups of coffee it takes to actually bump your insulin levels. <laughs> so it's sort of like... Just test sure. your heart rate at the same time when you exactly, do that. Exactly, yeah. That's, yeah, that's very, very true. And also my heart rate variability, that might be one to... <laughs> right. <laughs> a very stressful state. Um, oh, yeah. man, this is this is great. I, I really love talking about the, the nitty-gritty stuff with, with mm -hmm. uh, the ketogenic diet. Um, yeah, you know, me too. 
the the nutrition side of the ketogenic diet can sometimes um, be not misled, but I think it can be um, something that people get really confused about. And so, yes, you know, the the ultimate goal of the ketogenic diet is simply to reduce your carbohydrate levels so that you can flip the master switch of insulin and and be able to burn the fat on your body. But um, when it comes to eating a a, a pretty, you know, um, diet that is contains a lot of micronutrients and lots of, uh, you know, good gar- uh, good uh, good bacteria and a, a lot of, um, you know, things like the, the balance between omega-6 and omega-3. How do you sort of approach the ketogenic diet for yourself? And then what's the sort of approach that you may uh, give to people who are simply just trying to start the ketogenic diet? Yeah, that's a great question because I, I think that um, I'm a little bit different than most people in this. But my biggest take with both of it is that it's like, again, like I was kind of talking with the fasting is it's the balance between sustainability and and what's most optimal. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, for me, I've been doing keto for about three years now, and I've never come off the diet long term, other than there was one time in grad school where we were doing a study on keto where I couldn't be keto to start. So I had to come off of it for a few weeks. But other than that, the only time that I'm ever off of keto is, you know, if I'm traveling and, you know, maybe I'm in New York or something and I want to try some of the the New York pizza up there. If I'm back home and I want to try, you know, some home cooking or a holiday or something. But so most times I'm not coming off of it. And I think it's because I take that that approach of optimal and sustainability. So, you know, I'm you know, I'm always trying to get a lot of uh, good micronutrients. I'm trying to go for high quality foods, but there's going to be times where, you know, I'm on the road and the best thing I can do is have a low carb protein bar, or the best thing I can do is is stop at a gas station and grab some pork rinds or something like that, where definitely not the most nutritiously dense thing, but having it makes it feel a little bit more like a lifestyle and a lot less like a diet. I think a lot of times when people do keto, they get in this diet mode where they they want they they think they're in a diet all the time, and what happens is, is that's just not sustainable. You're gonna nobody can diet for the rest of their lives. So you know if you're just eating, ch- you know chicken salads and uh, you know steak and broccoli for the rest of your life, chances are you're probably not gonna stick to keto long term. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like I said, it's finding that balance of you know if there's a lot of these low carb snacks out there now. A lot of these, you know, keto friendly treats and all these rest like the amazing recipes that you're making, those I think are they're a great tool to make you still be able to feel like you're living, you know, a, a normal lifestyle, but you know, still like you said, achieving that optimal goal of keeping your carbohydrates low. Um, like I always tell somebody, I would much rather have you, you know, go and make a low carb cookie recipe or even go get some of like the low carb ice creams rather than go to uh, an ice cream shop and binge out on, you know, 100 to 200 grams of sugar. Um, and, and same thing with like like pizza, like, you know, I, I would rather somebody have a fathead dough pizza rather than go to, you know, the, go to a, a pizza shop and, and just go crazy with pizza. So it's kind of that now, obviously, when you speak about that, the problem is that some people go so far the opposite way that, you know, they're only eating fat bombs and fathead pizza and, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, not getting any nutrition in their diet. So it's kind of one of those things I always tell people like it's a you, you should you should focus on the healthy side of things where, you know, you, you probably shouldn't be eating these things you know, multiple times a day, every single day. 
But, you know, you should treat yourself. Like a lot of times if I'm coaching people, I'll tell them, you know, hey, Wednesday night this week, you should treat yourself to a glass of wine and, uh, you know, this this keto version of your favorite dish or something like that where they're going to be able to feel like they're still treating themselves and not feel like they're so restricted. Because, you know, the second that we restrict ourselves, it's very easy for bad relationships with food to develop. And that's really what we want to try to avoid because once that starts, it's such a hard cycle to get out of. So that's kind of what I always tell people is that, you know, find that balance, but always, always be real with yourself and know that, you know, having these, these treats and, and, you know, doing these, doing these recipes at every single meal probably isn't the best approach, but, you know, incorporating them strategically. And then like, and that's something that that approach is definitely most important with beginners. Um, like you asked a question about beginners because somebody it's, it's so hard. The reason why so many people fail at keto is because they start by, you know, first day one, they're they're throwing in exercise. They're fasting for 16 hours. They're eating broccoli and steak and eggs, and that's it. And, and you know, they they have they have nothing else. And then you can't sustain that, especially if you're somebody who's new to keto. And then two weeks down the road, you're you're done. You you give up on it, and then you never go back again. You say, well, keto didn't work for me. Mm. So. I always tell people when they start, I always try to make the the least amount of changes possible. I actually don't even recommend that people who are starting that they even track macronutrients. Um, I think it's a lot better to get just an approved list of foods. And I'll always tell them like when you start, how about you take this list of approved foods and you eat these foods when you're hungry. So eat as much as you need to, to, to feel full. And you know, that might not give you the weight loss results that you want for some people initially. But what's going to happen, I think, in most cases is that you're going to start experiencing as you get adapted, you're going to start experiencing some of that satiety that is going to make it so you start, you know, lowering your calories. Um, Incidentally, if you're kind of sticking to that motto of eating when you're healthy. Now, you know, if you're somebody who doesn't achieve that and you've, you know, you're still consuming 4000 calories a day on keto, then, you know, you're probably going to have to start taking a look at tracking those macros. But, uh, but I think it's always about, if you're a beginner, it's about making the least amount of changes possible to start. And usually I think the, that biggest change is just get those carbohydrates out and make sure that you're consuming enough fat to you know aid in that, that early ketone production and, and satiety and energy levels and things like that. Yeah, that's there's so much great advice in that little snippet right there. So if you're listening to this <laughs> podcast, go back and re-listen to that because <laughs> I totally agree with everything. And I think we see very eye to eye on this topic because um, you know there's there's two there's always two trains of thoughts and and um, you know always just doing the simple way is definitely going to give you results as well. And I think uh, you know if you're doing that, don't ever be ashamed of doing that. But but you always want to be trying to get the you know I I always take the the approach you want to be treating your health first and mm-hmm. um and then the weight loss sort of comes after that and as you said like becoming fat adapted is is one of the best things you can actually do before you start really diving into the ketogenic diet because otherwise you're just going to uh you know get headaches and migraines because you haven't really found um enough salt on the diet maybe or you're not getting enough electrolytes and so simply by switching some of the foods out and transitioning into it slowly can actually be a really beneficial way to get into the ketogenic diet and sustain it for a long time too um just jumping straight into the deep end of a pool uh and not knowing how to swim is is not always the greatest idea um right 
Yeah, and that's something that I made that mistake when I first started. Like I, you know, like I said, I didn't start with fasting, but I went straight in where I was, you know, I sat down, I, I calculated out my macronutrients, and I just went to it. And by day three, I was experiencing. I had a really big, um, just like kind of rush of just like depression and anxiety that hit me where mm. I was, you know, I was coming from a little bit higher of a carb diet um, just cause that's what I had always been trained for sports. That's what you needed. So um, I, you know, I had this big rush and, and luckily for me at the time I had actually right after school, I had uh, as a kind of a, of a bet with somebody, I ended up doing a physique contest where I had to diet for, for 12 weeks. And uh, so I had developed a little bit of self-control to, to get through that time. Mm. Um, but, you know, if I wouldn't have had that self-control beforehand, I know there's no way that I would have gotten through it. And that's because of the way that I approached it. And I, I see that so much. And it's, you know, you would, you have, I mean, you, you have an idea, but a lot of people have no idea how many times I hear people say, yeah, I tried keto once and I did it for two weeks and I felt horrible and <laughs> um, I lost a little bit of weight, but the weight came back when I stopped and the diet just wasn't for me. And so, like you said, I mean, it's, it's all about finding that way to, to get it so you can get fat adapted because that's ultimately what I want anybody who's new to keto to experience. I don't care how they get there, really. I want them to experience that becoming fat adapted first because once you experience it, it's pretty difficult to want to go back after that. Like you, you know, for me, like I'd never want to go back to the, the hunger swings and the mood swings and the, the energy swings that come from being on a, a little bit higher of a carb diet. So I think that once somebody experiences that, then, you know, it's hard for them to go back. So we got to get them to that point. Uh, and then, you know, I think that it'll take care of itself. Yeah, it's interesting you say that um, we need to uh, be able to get them to a certain point because, you know, th those I, I, I remember those hunger swings so much. You know, you'd be out and you'd be just constantly looking for food or, um, mm -hmm. oh, I haven't had lunch yet or, or I, I, I didn't have breakfast this morning. I'm probably going to get pretty angry in about a couple of hours. Right. So, you know, and, uh, you know, to, to be liberated from that is, is the best feeling in the world. Um, and also, not only that, but you also get so much productivity done on uh, working uh, in in fitness. You know, like there's so many benefits to the ketogenic diet outside of just weight loss. Um, and yeah. I think for me, when you work on your own business, it's probably a good thing that you can work all day long. <laughs> but, <Right. laughs> um, you know, obviously working for someone else is great too. But, uh, you know, you get a lot more done for yourself. And if, if you see that uh, that outcome, it's definitely pretty rewarding. Um, and, uh, you know, when, first, when people first start, I'll, I always think that they also need a little bit of a social accountability and i think a lot of people create instagram accounts to help them with that social accountability uh, uh, sorry <laughs> social accountability um because they they have to post content or they're posting foods and and the best thing on instagram is that you know you can post whatever you're eating and if you're after if you're one of those people who is after likes on a photo then that it's going to go crazy because people love seeing food that people are eating and you know oh we're gosh, yes. we're talking about a lifestyle here we're not talking about like a a preconceived um you know advertisement for some type of food you really just want to mm -hmm. post what you're eating and people love it and people can see the genuine uh reality of what the ketogenic diet looks like and uh you know i think that um uh, another question I had as well, uh, when you first go into tracking macros, because, the, you know, for, for some people, they may be eating just too much food or they may be eating still too many carbs or um, maybe their their fats quant aren't quite high enough. I always get the question where I'm so 
scared of eating vegetables because they contain too many carbs Mm -hmm. and i'm so scared of eating protein because it's going to kick me out of ketosis do you have any um sort of responses for those two different types of thoughts there yeah so the problem is is that there's so much um individual variability between it so that's why like making recommendations on macronutrients is such a difficult thing like you know we've been told that you know the 75 or the 70 25 5 approach is the most optimal keto diet but we just know that that's a way to get into ketosis we don't know that that's necessarily the most optimal for everybody Mm -hmm. so it's it's so hard to make macronutrient recommendations so that's kind of why like with beginners I, i like to take that approach of um like i said you here's a list of foods eat them when you're hungry and do that for a while and if you if you're not seeing progress and you know and not seeing progress doesn't mean that a week went by and you didn't lose weight you know if you, if you did it for four five six weeks and and you're you're not seeing any progress or maybe you were seeing progress and you hit a stall or uh or and which doesn't necessarily mean weight loss that could be a stall in your energy or your uh your mental focus or any of those other benefits that we talked about but um, if you're if you're experiencing it, then that's when I think it's worth taking a look. So usually, what I'll tell somebody then is, okay, you've been following keto for a while. You're at a stall now. I want you to go ahead and track your food for the next couple days, and let's see what you've been eating. Uh, track it as normally as possible. Don't let the fact that you're tracking it uh, change the way that you're eating. Try to eat as normal as possible, and then see what you've been doing, and then make adjustments because. For some people, we see such. I've seen such different things where somebody's on a higher protein, lower fat version of keto, and they've been doing it for a while. They saw results. They got stuck. We switch them back to a higher fat version of keto, and boom, they start seeing results again. And then vice versa. Somebody's been on this very high fat version of keto. We start lowering that fat a little bit, increasing that protein, and then boom, they're seeing results again. So. I think that's that's kind of the thing where it's like there's, it's so individualized that it's almost impossible to to say okay this is the macronutrients that you should be consuming because you know even when you look at if you look at protein or you look at um, carbohydrates a lot of that has to do with like your insulin sensitivity so if you're somebody who's new to the diet and you're coming to the diet for weight loss chances are you're probably pretty insulin resistant where yeah maybe a, a, a mass amount of protein or you know having too much uh, getting you know too many carbohydrates from vegetables and stuff maybe your body will have a hard time with that um, but if you're somebody who is extremely insulin sensitive you might be able to consume you know 75 grams of carbs and, and still be into ketosis so mm. that's it's, it's all about that kind of intuitive eating where you have to learn about your body when, when I have people ask me that question about macronutrients I always give them an answer that they don't want to know they don't want to hear and it's you know it, it depends it, it's just really what's your goal what's what's your current situation what have you been doing um, there's just so many things that play a role. Yeah, I, I totally agree with all of that. And I think we have, a, again, a very similar approach um, to to sort of breaking through uh, plateaus, I guess. Um, but you have a book that has come out, The, the Three-Phase DIY Keto Plateau Buster. Um, can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about that and sort of the, um, you know, the approaches to not only nutrition and, and changing macros, because I think um, you said that they were, they were sort of the last thing that you try and change, but also to stress and sleep sleep and you know all of the other processes that are involved in trying to break through a weight loss plateau yeah so basically what i did was is uh probably about 
three, two, three months ago, I started putting out polls on my Instagram asking people, you know, who, who's stuck at plateaus. And I started noticing that there were a lot of people that, you know, like ridiculously high percentage, like 70 plus percent were reporting that they were stuck at a plateau on keto. And which is kind of what I expected because I hear it come about so often. So what I did was I started uh, I started kind of sending out questionnaires to people and doing like assessments with them to see what it was that they were doing with their diets. And in most cases, you know, you do get the the outlier every once in a while who's doing everything perfect with their diet and and they just aren't losing weight. But most times, you know, the questions people answer the questions, and there's a pretty common theme in the different things that they're doing, and and. So that's kind of what led me to put together that program where it's a unique program that's not it's not like your traditional program where I'm going to give you a calculator and say, okay, input your information and, and you know, here's a, your macros and follow it. It's more of a, you have to, you know, here's my changes. I, I want you to assess yourself on these topics. I want you to make these changes and then see what happens. And then if you don't see the progress, I want you to move to these other phases because the, the thing that I think people, just like when they jump into keto, the biggest mistake they make is that they want to just go, they want to do everything at once. They want to just go straight to, you know, I'm going to cut calories in half and I'm going to, you know, lower, I'm going to get my, change my macros up. And then the problem is, is what happens next time you hit a plateau? You, you, at this point, you've kind of exhausted all of your resources. So my kind of thought with that is that I really want to take the minimal effective dose to bust your plateau. So, you know, in the program, like one of the first things that we, we talk about is, um, is like dairy consumption or it, the first thing is carbs because a lot of times what will happen is is people think that they're if they're not tracking people will think that their carbohydrates are low but mm. really they're they're creeping up and what i call the carb creep they're yep. you know they're creeping up to the you know 50 60 grams and you know they didn't know that so just right there you know cutting that down to, to 20 might be what they need to bust through the plateau or you know maybe it's dairy maybe it's you know your food quality maybe you're consuming a lot of pro-inflammatory foods that are preventing you from from seeing some of that progress so that's the, the approach that i take is kind of let's tease things out because what i think that everybody's going to experience a plateau at some point and probably multiple times because our bodies are just their machines they're very efficient at anything that we throw at them they get they adjust to it um, our body doesn't want to experience huge fluctuations or huge changes so you know i think that if you can if you're at a plateau, if you can make one change and bust through that plow, through that plateau, stick to it, and then the next time you get to a plateau, you still have this handful of other resources that you can try, um, rather than you know what what I see so often is is people come to me and they'll say, hey, I'm consuming 1,100 calories a day, I'm working out seven times a week, and I'm not losing weight. What's going on? Ooh, yeah. It's like, well, you know, your metabolism is shot. Yeah. <laughs> you've just you've kind of ruined yourself at this point. So um, that's kind of the way that I go is just what's the minimal effective dose because there's also the the sustainability component works into that too where you know rather than making 12 changes week one you know making one change is going to be something that's a lot more sustainable and then we can kind of habit stack those changes accordingly mm, yeah it's uh it's really awesome that you talk about the you know that that the typical person who's been calorie restricting for a long time so maybe they've come from something like weight watches where they give them points on how many t things of food that they're able to eat and it's just like it creates these 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 problems that are, um you know when someone comes to the ketogenic diet 
you have to fix first. And so I really love uh, that approach, what you were talking about before. But also um, uh, Keto Savage, Robert, uh, and and Crystal as well, they have this approach where, you know, they sort of assess the amount of um, calories or macros or whatever it is that you're eating currently and they move you back up to some something that is of normal sustainability. So if you're eating 1,100 calories and you have been for the past year, but your you know your BMR your basal metal, me- metabolic rate is up closer to 1,800, then they slowly try and put you back into that position because that's where your body's going to feel healthy. That's where your body's going to feel pretty natural, um, and and then you can sort of start to work from there. Do you have you ever had to experience that with someone to bring them back up to a normal amount of um, of metabolism? and a normal amount of eating. Is that something that sort of come across a little bit? Yeah, definitely. That That's usually, I mean, if I talk to anybody who's in that situation where they're consuming very low calorie, but they're, uh, you know, they're working out a ton and stuff like that, that's the first thing I'll do is just like, we got to get those calories back up a little bit. Mm. And it's something that, you know, it is a, a progress. I think that's something that you have to do well, you know, it's, it's actually interesting. I think there's two approaches you can take with that. Um, you can do slow incremental changes, um, but you can also, there is actually a faster approach that I want to do more research on. It's something that I've tested on myself, but I haven't tested it in, in other people. But there is some research that shows that when you're coming out of a calorie-restricted state, that if you get your calories back up to your baseline, which, you know, could, could be what's, you, you know, the BMR, what you're getting from uh, running those calculations. If you just uh, increase your protein, um, then to, to the point where you get those calories back up, you're probably less likely to see some fat gain with that. Um, and that's research that was done in non-ketogenic states. So I think that it's something that needs to be assessed in a ketogenic state. Um, but I think that, you know, the goal is to, cause it's kind of like that concept of like reverse dieting, which mm-hmm. is so common in like the, the fitness and the physique sports that people, they're in a calorie restricted state and then they do a reverse diet. But the problem is, is that if you say you've been, you know, like the perfect example is like a bodybuilder, for instance, you've been, you know, calorie restricting for 12, 16, 20 weeks and now the show's done and you are gonna reverse diet and which is gonna be another 12 weeks of you being in a calorie restricted state. So I think the goal, you know, there, the goal has to be to try to get those calories back to that baseline as quickly as possible because the longer you're in that, you know, if you've been habitually um, calorie restricting, the longer you do that, the, the more harmful it could be. So um, I do think that calorie restriction on keto is a little bit different. I don't think it's necessarily as bad as being chronically calorie restricted in other diet states. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's kind of the goal is how do we get it back up quickly? But I've definitely seen that. And, and I've had cases where, you know, somebody's consuming, you know, 1100, 1200 calories a day. And over the course of, of, you know, three weeks, we get them back up to, you know, tw- you know, 1800 to 2100 and they start seeing results again. They're like, what the heck? Like how, how did it, how did that happen? Um, and that, that's kind of the point is just like you, you, it's not only about calorie restricting. That's why I always tell people, anybody who says that calories are the only thing that matter, it's, it's pretty simple to show that they're not. Because if you're working out seven times a week and you're eating 1,100 calories a day, you're definitely in a calorie deficit. And if you're not seeing results, then that's a pretty telltale sign that calories aren't king. You know, they play a role, but they're not the most important. So, um, but I, I do think that approach of getting those calories back up can be beneficial for a lot of people. Yeah. And that's something that 
people really get confused about and and it's often thought that there's two trains of thought there's one where calories don't matter and then there's one where mm-hmm. the calories do matter and i and i think we probably think similar on this as well is that uh calories play a role but they're probably not the most uh the, it's not the the first thing that you should be looking at um really really right. interesting stuff and i and I, I i like the increase in protein um and that would be interesting to apply to a whole bunch of people on the ketogenic diet, mostly because of the the whole uh, glucagon ratio ratio that's very different with the amount of protein. And and uh, and I know that you've experimented a little bit with the carnivore diet. What what has been your experience with that? And um, and you know, for people who are scared about limiting their vegetable content, um, and and is carnivore something that you should be doing full time? Like, what are your sort of thoughts on that? Yeah, so I had a really great experience with carnivore. Um, I think the carnivore approach is actually another great way to bust through a plateau because you know you're just getting even more calorie restricted. And and for some people, if you've been traditional keto, um, I'm kind of a believer that if you've been doing traditional keto for a long time and where you've been more of in that 70 to 75% fat range, I think that if you're adapted, lowering your fat a little bit may increase your body's reliance on burning its own fat. Mm. So carnivore naturally, when you when you go to with the, the carnivore diet, you tend to be higher protein and uh, a little bit lower fat. You know, it's definitely not Atkins, but it's kind of what, you know, Dr. Kosoff w- would call like a, a modified Atkins approach almost where, you know, you're in that maybe 30 to 40% protein and, you know, somewhere down in that 60% um, fat range. But I saw great results on it and I actually did it during um, it came at a time where I was uh, I was right a couple months before I was getting married so I was kind of going through that wedge shred where I was trying to, to lose a little bit of weight and uh, it was crazy man I lost like I don't know like 18 pounds I think in like six weeks or something like that and you know I didn't really have that much to lose and I'm very prone to when I dial it in I, I dump a ton of water yep. uh, when, when I dial it in like that so you know with me being like a, a taller guy and stuff I have some more water I can release um, but you know, I, I really liked it. The, the, I think for me, there's a couple things that I think need to be modified on the traditional carnivore diet. Um, one of the things that in the program that, uh, Danny and I put together that we recommended were things like coconut oil. Um, there was a couple things we recommend that was different. One of them was coconut oil because sometimes people don't get enough fat in on carnivore and oftentimes that leads to them uh, consuming a ton of dairy right. because that's yeah. kind of where else do you go to get more fat? You yeah. know, you go to heavy cream and, and things like that. So um, I think that coconut oil and like and like avocado oil and things like that were stuff that we recommended. And we also recommended um, things like adaptogenic mushrooms mm. because... Um, a lot of times, if you're switching that carnivore approach, you might have a you know a little dip in that. If it, if you're not if you're not keto or if you've been doing keto and you haven't been as strict, you might experience a little bit of a dip in your energy levels. And we really wanted to prevent people from consuming masses massive amounts of caffeine during this time. So we wanted to kind of you know find this as a replacement for that caffeine. Um, but since then, like I still I still follow a relatively carnivore approach. Um, you know, if I'm eating out at a restaurant or something, I'll usually have a vegetable as my side. But the only thing that I think could make a carnivore approach better is incorporating avocados because I just don't think that there's a, a better food, especially with the amount of potassium that you can get from an avocado. Um, I don't think that there, there's a, a much better food that you can include in there. So that's for me, I, I'm pretty much, I would say most times I'm, I'm around 90% carnivore with, you know, the addition of those other things like the 
um, like the the mushrooms and the, um, the coconut oil and and some people they don't really do uh, eggs on carnivore um, for some reason I, I've never understood why that's that's taboo to some people uh, why eggs can't be consumed on, on carnivore but I'm a huge fan of eggs too just because they're mi- the micronutrient profile on those is just it's so profound that I think it's something that you should include too so you know I guess my my approach when it comes to carnivore is that if you're doing it I think that you know there's some things that you should do to optimize it a little bit better but uh as a whole i haven't seen any reason why a carnivore approach is something that uh, somebody can't do and see great results from Mm, yeah that's really interesting because i get a lot of questions about this and um i i haven't tried doing it for you know a prolonged period of time myself so that's probably something i'm going to jump jump into over the next couple of months but um uh, yeah, it's really interesting to, to sort of see, yeah, like where do you get these different types of micronutrients uh, from just the, the the muscle meat and, and whether you incorporate the, you know, organ meats in, in there as well to sort of get the, the broad spectrum of, of a whole bunch of different micronutrients. Um, but yeah, potassium mm-hmm. is, is a great addition with the avocados because uh, it's, it's a big part of your electrolytes. And so if you're, especially if you're exercising, especially if you're dumping a lot of water, um, you're going to be, you know, losing a lot of that that ability to actually retain water and so potassium is really important for that um and yeah. and the other thing too is uh is what we talked about earlier is that omega-3 omega-6 ratio mm. because a lot of times when people go carnivore they go ve- like kind of like we talked at the beginning what i did when i first started is they go uh just straight to red meat and they consume only red meat mm. And, you know, that can throw off that omega-6, omega-3 ratio. So I always tell people, too, like when you're doing carnivore, make sure you're, you're incorporating, you know, fish and, and, you know, salmon, things like that, sardines, whatever. And if you don't like those kinds of things, then you probably need to look at incorporating like krill oil or something like that mm. that has a pretty uh, pretty high um, um, omega-3 profile. Mm. Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, so such good advice. I think um, uh, that it's very easy to jump into something again, like, you know, with the key ketogenic diet it's very easy to jump in and then sort of work out what to do best along the way um, but if you have if you take those little bits of advice and sort of apply it to yourself then you can you can test it out and see if it's working and if it's not or what uh, what is going to be the best way forward and a lot of people um, do do the carnivore diet because they're so sick of um, uh, you know nutritional uh, problems that they are getting from certain foods and whether it's nightshades mm-hmm. or dairy or you know whatnot and so going on the carnivore diet is very low allergenic and so you can get a lot of benefit out of doing that as well. Um, but yeah, it's 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 something I typically don't recommend um, people do unless they are fat adapted. And then when they are, mm-hmm. um, I yeah I, I I haven't dabbled with it enough to be able to uh, point people in the right direction. But that's some really great advice. I I do have at the at the end of the podcast, <laughs> I do have these like quick rapid fire questions now they're never quick okay. they're never rapid <laughs> and I, uh, I i never fire them um and uh, <laughs> so the first one is that what is your favorite uh keto food okay so keto food is that uh is that recipe specific or individual food um it can be recipe specific i think that's 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 a pretty good idea but generally for most people it's food like i really love avocados or i really love you mm-hmm. know what insert favorite food there yeah mine's eggs Ooh, for, yeah. for single food it's eggs i can't get enough eggs I, I if i ever found out i had a sensitivity to eggs i'd be pretty upset about it <laughs> <laughs> they're so easy too right that you can just yeah. um you know make them all sorts of ways and a lot, lots of people go on these egg fasts and i'm like 
what fasting and eating eggs that 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 doesn't <laughs> it's like it's yeah, a fast i'm not sure what i think about those those egg fasts i don't know about those yeah i'm i am the exact same i typically don't recommend egg fasts um but no. what is your in contrast to your favorite food eggs what is your least favorite food Oh, that's a good question. You know, I'm not a very picky eater. Uh, there's not too many things that I that I don't like. I, you know, I don't know that I have a, in terms of, of on keto, I don't know that, I've always been somebody that I've always enjoyed vegetables and I've always enjoyed um, meat. So there's really hasn't been anything. You know, one thing I don't, I guess one thing I can say I don't like is I don't like um, kale, which is <laughs> kind of questionable whether or not it's it's got a little bit higher carb content but i've never been a big fan of of kale so that that's probably one yeah and uh and raw kale made a big comeback in a whole bunch of smoothies and whatnot and and uh it's just like maybe one of the worst ways to consume it (laughs) yeah it's just not (laughs) yeah um and so uh what is your favorite exercise do you have a particular whether that's you know playing basketball or it might be deadlifts or um do you have something that you find particularly beneficial for you yeah i think uh for me it's basketball because um i've i don't really enjoy uh doing a whole lot of like uh, cardio equipment like ellipticals and bikes and things like that so basketball is a way that i can kind of get that cardiovascular and and get you know even i think basketball has a if you play it right i think it has a a hit component to it Mm. so um i really enjoy that and it's it's something that a lot of times i I play at five in the morning three days a week and there's a lot of times where i you know i'll wake up before my alarm because i'm so excited to go play so that's definitely my favorite oh man i i totally i I feel you on that one i uh i I stopped playing basketball a long time ago because uh, music sort of took over but i think i might have to get back into it (laughs) yeah it's one of those things man i'm i'm in that age right now where i'm i just turned 26 and i'm starting to get a little bit more injured i'm starting to have to play a little bit uh more uh conservative than uh, what i used to be able to do but it's for me it's definitely it's one of those stress stress reliefs where i can kind of get that uh i think there's a really not to go too down the rabbit hole but i think that there's a benefit to competition and you know i missed that when i graduated college I, and stopped playing sports i stopped playing basketball for a while and not having that competition kind of made a big difference on my quality of life and you know so that's one of the biggest things i think there's a value to just being competitive every day and kind of you know going physically being competitive with other people i think there's a lot of benefits to that oh man yeah 100 percent. i always i always remember playing sports and in a team factor you know you're so much more driven to actually get the ball first or um you know Mm -hmm. do whatever that is and and so by doing that um you know you're you're creating all these signals for your body that is pushing it to its limits and and those anaerobic efforts and you know the the um the the brain function that you get from just being active for two and a half hours is just phenomenal and and being in competition as you said before like um you know you derive a lot of pleasure from winning or you know learn a lot from losing in that respect as well and uh, so there's Mm -hmm. there's so much more to just the physical benefit which is fantastic um i i have another question now um do you take any supplements uh you know outside of prescription medication um do you take any supplements to help with you on the ketogenic diet and and what do they sort of look like yeah, so I do. Um, there's a few things that I do. So right now, um, well, not right now. The, the ones that I'm always sticking to usually are electrolytes and uh, exogenous ketones. 
Um, I like to use exogenous, which is, you know, they're a little bit, uh, people, people don't know what to think about exogenous ketones yet, but I think that they're a great tool for a ketogenic diet. So I incorporate them, uh, not always daily, but usually like for me, I'll, I'll use them in the late afternoon if I need a little bit of an energy boost, but I'm trying to keep that caffeine intake low or pre-workout, I'll use them. Mm. Uh, and then electrolytes is something for me, I, I sweat a ton. So replenishing electrolytes on keto is already important, let alone if you're, if you're a big sweater. So um, those two I, I take pretty regularly. And then um, other than that, you know, um, I'll do fish oil uh, or krill oil, I think is a, is a big one that I'll incorporate, vitamin D, is, is another one that I'll put in there. Um, and then I have a few little kind of stacks that I'll use for improving brain function, like where I'll incorporate uh, some alpha GPC, mm-hmm. um, you know, some, some different nootropics that might combine, uh, you know, like, like lion's mane and, and some of the adaptogenic mushrooms. Um, but I guess if you, if you kind of get down to the core of which ones I take, it's definitely, you know, exogenous ketones, um, the electrolytes, vitamin D and fish oil. Interesting. Yeah. I, um, I've been trying to track. So <laughs> for me at the moment, I'm in this eight week summer body challenge. So it's, it's moving up to a summer here in Australia, uh, for everyone in the States. They're like, but summer's already been, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> um, and, and so I've been tracking my, uh, just the foods that I've, I've been eating in chronometer. Chronometer sort of mm-hmm. like pulls all the stuff then, uh, all the foods from, um, you know, good reliable databases and they can mm-hmm. often you can track micronutrients with it uh so i use chronometer mm-hmm. to track micronutrients with that respect i'm not sure if you've ever used it but something that mm-hmm. i found for me i was not getting that much of was vitamin d and um you know you can generate it from the sun um but i think it's also important to be able to get that from foods as well uh but yeah and even supplementing it is fantastic it sort of works more than more as a hormone in your body uh than than a vitamin so to speak um but yeah it's interesting Mm -hmm. uh you use exogenous ketones as well because i think they have a very important role with people who are very active um they are you know silly for weight loss because i think that you wouldn't consume more sugar on a carb a high carbohydrate diet to lose weight and so you probably wouldn't do you know you know take exogenous ketones on a high calorie ketogenic diet to lose weight either um Mm -hmm. and so you know when do you take those and um and have you tried not using them is is it something that you incorporated from the start or was it something that helped you perform better when you were uh, at the gym or playing basketball or something like that yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of go, uh, if you don't mind, a, a little bit of a dive on this talk yep, uh, on a couple it. different things. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, so I didn't, uh, well, I guess first thing on the weight loss side of things, I, I agree with you on that, and that's actually your your comparison there is something I've never heard before, and I really like that. So I'm going to steal that, but I'm going to give you credit, so <laughs> yeah. don't worry on that. <laughs> um, I really like that. But um, on the weight loss side of things, that's, that's the biggest problem is people, you know, first off, they only view keto as weight loss. So they only look at exogenous ketones for weight loss and they look at it as cut and dry, mm. uh, where they'll, they'll assume that, you know, either when you take ketones, you do or do not lo- burn more fat and lose weight. Um, but the thing is, is that there's been a lot of research to show that you take, you, you know, taking them long-term, you can have some physiological adaptations that can help with fat burning. So, you know, acutely 
taking exogenous ketones today isn't going to probably make you burn more fat today unless it makes you train at a much higher intensity that you know you, it could potentially elicit fat burning mm-hmm. but what it can do is it can do things like um, activate like brown adipose tissue and promote mitochondrial biogenesis which you know that can be those can be physiological adaptations that can lead to more calorie burning and fat burning mm-hmm. so it's kind of one of those things where it's it's not necessarily cut and dry but the, the traditionally the way that people look at it when saying that like oh yeah taking ketones are going to help you burn fat that's definitely not their their best application um but i started taking ketones not at the start of keto um but pretty early on because in grad school i was doing a lot of research with like some of the raw powders um which was horrible to be honest because it was just the raw powders uh, flavored with like mio or something like that it was just the the worst thing ever and you know i had to figure out what combinations were you know wouldn't make me feel horrible and which ones were okay um, but it's not something that I use every day because I don't want it to be a crutch or anything like mm-hmm. that, but it is something that, um, I incorporate when I need them. So, uh, kind of like you said with some, being somebody that exercises a lot and somebody that I'm, I'm very cognitively into my day where, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of reading and writing. Um, I burn through ketones a lot and, you know, I don't, my ketone levels are never at a very, very high level because I, I use them pretty efficiently, I think. And, and um, so taking them, I think, is just giving a little bit more availability where, you know, if, I'm, if I have that three o'clock feeling rather than going getting that heavy dose of caffeine, I like to have the exogenous ketones. And um, I also like to take them before a workout for a couple different reasons. I mean, one, we know, we know that having, there's been research to show that, you know, having elevated ketone levels can be more protein sparing. Yep. So, you know, I train in a fasted state. So, you know, having uh, being putting your body in a little bit more of a protein sparing mode can definitely be a positive. Um, I also, you know, they kind of give me an increase in energy and mental focus during my training. So that kind of helps as well. Um, but there's also uh, there's a, a very limited body of research. It's very old studies that have shown that um, when, that exogenous ketones may be able to help stimulate uh, muscle protein synthesis. So you know taking them before workout could provide some some benefit in that sense. Um, but but even extending past of that, you know the fact that these exogenous ketones and this is one of the reasons why I actually prefer the powders over the esters is that uh, they're bound to minerals. Mm. And those minerals are usually minerals that you're deficient in, uh, you know, like the the sodium or you know some some use sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium. Um, those are all things that are important on keto. So it's kind of a two for one there, um, which I think is, is pretty great. So that's kind of the. There's a lot of different reasons why I incorporate it, but I definitely don't think that it should be used as a crutch. I think sometimes people think that they can just eat whatever and take exogenous ketones and they'll be fine, mm. but it just doesn't quite work like that. Um, I think one of the biggest reasons why exogenous ketones have gotten a bad rap is because people have promoted them uh, over a diet, over the ketogenic diet, saying that you don't need both. And, you know, regardless of what ketone you're taking, you know, what I've seen is that your your ketone levels are going to return to baseline within, you know, two to three hours of taking them. So, you know, just taking exogenous ketones is not going to give you the same benefits that a ketogenic diet is going to. So is, for as many benefits as there are, there's also an importance in, you know, teaching that proper use of the supplement. Mm, yeah. And, um, you know, if you are thinking about trying 
exogenous ketones in a, a athletic sense um then don't try prove it <laughs> just don't don't <laughs> it's that that marketing and whatever they've done with that is just terrible so try something more along the lines of perfect keto because uh, they do mm-hmm. a lot of great research into their products um and i just think they're a much better company um and agreed yeah. and uh, and so um i was a musician for a long time so I really like hearing people's, you know, this is a this is a total shift. <laughs> um, yep. You know, I, I sort of go in, uh, into the books first, but let's go to the books afterwards. I, I was a mus- musician for a long time, so I really like hearing people's music choice uh, or, you know, like what they listen to on a regular basis with the classics that they go back to. Do you have any particular musicians or styles of music that you really enjoy? Yeah, man, I listen to a little bit of everything. Um, when I was growing up, I was really big into like alternative and like punk rock. So I was like yeah. big into you know Taking Back Sunday yeah. and Blink One Eighty Two and uh, Lincoln Park, things like that. And um, and then when I got into high school, I was I was big into um, rap at the time. You know, I liked some of some of the rap that was uh, at my time that was popular is like when back when like Lil Wayne was good and you know like Ludacris yeah. and guys like that. <laughs> and I've actually kind of gotten out of the rap game now. I don't really like the the newer age mm. rap. Um, I, I like country a lot, so I'll, I'll listen to. Um, I kind of have different different types of music that I listen to depending on. Um, what I'm doing. So if I'm working out, uh, I like to listen to a little bit heavier metal. Um, I like, you know, a day to remember is probably my favorite band in that sense. Um, if I'm working, my, my two go-tos are either country music, like really like, um, like Luke Bryan, Florida, Georgia line, some of those. And then, uh, or another, my kind of my go-to working one is uh, Kygo. Are you familiar with Kygo? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. I like, I really like, um, for some listening to Kygo, it just gets me like really into like my work. It just puts me in a great mood. Mm. So I really like listening to him when I work. And then, you know, if I'm just kind of in my day to day, I like to go back to some of those, the old school punk rock stuff and, and listen to those. So I'm, I'm pretty versatile with my music. Oh, uh, that's awesome. I, um, yeah, I would have to agree with you on the sort of modern spectrum of hip hop. And I think Danny Vega is probably on the same bandwagon as this is that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, real hip hop is like the old stuff <laughs> and yeah. uh, like I grew up listening to Jurassic 5 and all those types of guys and mm-hmm. uh, and then you know moving forward yeah I'm not sure but but uh, I know that uh, Matt and Mega from Keto Connect Matt is a big fan of of the the modern hip hop so I guess there's two trains of thoughts and there's there's all, maybe we'll have to have a, sh- a battle uh, like a <laughs> <laughs> I always tell people, you know, I always laugh when, whenever I, I, you know, I talk like I'm so old, but I always laugh when I, when I talk to like some kids that are high school now and they talk about rap and I'm like, man, you know, I had like Jay-Z and like all those yep. people when I was growing up and like, they were so much better than what you guys have now, but you know, I guess that's just a, that's an opinion <laughs> yeah. thing, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, uh, do you have any books or videos that have recently inspired you? Yeah. So, um, I'm a huge reader. I actually, I always, I, my goal is to, to hit, you know, three to four books a month. Uh, I try to read every single day. Oh, and the one that I'm reading right now that I am very just, I am all about it right now is uh, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Oh, yeah. Um, it's kind of going, it, it basically just breaks down all of the, uh, the old research on psychedelics for mental disorders and then kind of the new age research and, and some of his experience with, you know, taking like psilocybin and um, MDMA and things like that. So 
I'm really fascinated in it because it reminds me a lot of where keto was three years ago, mm-hmm. where you know they were uncovering this hidden research and um, and and trying to get back to what you know, trying to prevent what what's been hidden from us in the research. So that one is is a really big one that I'm a huge fan of. And then another one, a book that um, kind of changed, I think, really changed my life. Um, I, I try to go back and forth between you know motivational books and um, science books. Mm-hmm. And one book that changed my life in the last year was um, the Code to the Code of the Extraordinary Mind. Are you familiar with oh, that one? Oh no, I haven't read this one, but I'm going to have to now. <laughs> yeah, it, it's by um, Vishen. I forget how to say his last name. It's like Lacania, Lacani, or something like that. But basically, it's just a book that kind of it goes through like it kind of changes your traditional thoughts and like one of the biggest changes that it made for me was it talks a lot about like um like rules and and it kind of calls them like rules like you know bs rules type (laughs) things where it's like you know we have we we've have a lot of these thought processes and these uh these things that have been ingrained in us since we were little and they've kind of established our thought process currently And, and a lot of times those thought processes can be debilitating they can hold us back they can cause stress and anxiety and the book kind of just talks about really, you know, you can kind of set, you, you can really get back to your core and set your own um, belief systems that you can impact that haven't been laid out for you by, you know, other people in your life or people that were had a, a big role early on in your life. So that was kind of a game changer for me because, and, and they teach a lot of like meditation and stuff like that. That was kind of like my first real introduction into meditation. So um, if anybody is is kind of looking for a book like that, it's, it's a little bit dense um, in the sense that, you know, not every, I don't think that everybody is ready for the book. Um, at every, any given time, I kind of stumbled across it at a, a good time in my life where I was able to get a lot out mm-hmm. of it. Um, but it's it's one of the most incredible books I've read. Oh man, I I am gonna have to add that to my list. So I'm the sort of person who doesn't necessarily read but listens to their books. <laughs> and so when I say I read lots of books, I actually just listen to lots of books. Um, right. And, uh, <laughs> Audible is my favorite one to do that with because it's just yeah. so much easier. Um, but I'm gonna have to check it out. And if it's not on Audible. I'm gonna have to find it somewhere else, but I think it, it is. is. I'm pretty sure it is on oh, there. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And another one too that I'll I'll shout out that I also read in the last year that was a big one for me was, um, and it's an old book, but it's uh, Men Are from Mars and Women Are from Venus. Oh, yeah. um, if you're somebody who's in a relationship, that is an eye-opening book that will kind of show you the different, like you know, just the the differences between men and women, and it'll help you in your communication, help you in your, you in your relationship, and you know, me and my wife actually read. Um, we read the book at the same time so she could kind of better understand me and I could better understand her and it made a really big difference in our relationship so that's another good one that people might enjoy Ooh, that, that's interesting If uh, I haven't read the book but um, for, for guys out there stop trying to fix problems and just listen <laughs> I think that <laughs> that's that's one of the biggest yeah. things you you couldn't have hit it more on the head that was my biggest takeaway was uh in the book they call it Mr. Fix-Its where you know anytime there's a problem you want to be the hero you want to you want to fix it when you know in all actuality that's usually not what she's looking for she's usually looking for a little bit more sympathy and comfort mm. and that was something that I, when I read it, I was just like, oh, you idiot. You've been doing that for so long. <laughs> where, you know, you've just been trying to fix everything and it was never working. And why is that? And so, yeah, you, you nailed it on the head, man. That was my biggest takeaway. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I learned that one yeah. pretty quickly because um, my fiance, she was just, she, she'd come home from work and we'd sort of talk about some things from work and, and I'd always just be trying to fix it and it was just the wrong approach. <laughs> um, that's just not what they're looking no, for. No, that's right. And I guess like going 
back to the code of the extraordinary mind, um, you know, something that might be applicable for people listening to this podcast is that um, comparisons can be really debilitating. And um, does mm-hmm. that book sort of cover any good ideas about comparisons? And what and what do you sort of think about, um, you know, comparing yourself to other people or other people's progress? Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember if the book goes too too in depth into it, but it's definitely something that I I have some thoughts on because um, I've seen that a lot where you know I've gone through different periods of my life, like in grad school and stuff, where you know maybe my financial situation wasn't very good and I couldn't do you know a ton of fun things, or you know maybe I was you know I didn't have the you know, I didn't look the way that I wanted to look, or I wasn't as smart as some people around me. And that is such a debilitating mindset to compare Mm -hmm. to other people. And it's one of those concepts of like, of course, you know, not to do that. You know, of course, you know, that comparing yourself to other people is a bad Mm -hmm. thing, but actually not doing it is really hard. Um, And that in in, in Code of the Extraordinary Mind, they do give things that kind of help you with like changing your, your mental mantras and mindsets away from things like that. But that is a big one because there's so many times like where, you know, I I see people who have come from so far, you know, whether maybe they've lost, you know, 90 pounds or, you know, they've, they're somebody who they were homeless and and now they're, they have a good career or whatever. And they're still, you know, not happy because they're comparing themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're always going to be able to compare to somebody who's doing better than you. You know, there's always going to be somebody out there that's doing, you know, as what you would perceive as better than you so that's definitely a big one mm, yeah i uh, it's something that i struggled with a lot uh you know starting a business or uh mm-hmm. doing doing things in an online space and you know you, you you always see people and you see their best version of themselves uh displayed online and you and you you can't compare yourself with that because that that and as you said before it's so much easier to say yes you shouldn't compare yourself but in reality it's quite hard to um yeah the code of the extraordinary mind is probably going to be the next book i read for that in particular definitely (laughs) it's definitely i mean that that thought process held me back for a while with my personal brand Mm. because you know i didn't think that you know when, when i first started i was making my own graphics like actually doing the graphic design for it so i was doing the information and the graphic design and i never felt i was you know i was like hesitant to put something out because it didn't look as good as other people's out there and you know i always wondered like you know am i you know am i there's phds and mds out there talking about this stuff i only have a master's like am i even qualified (laughs) to do this and and really it was something that held me back and then i started realizing like any time that i I had information that i wasn't sharing with somebody that was preventing me from potentially being able to change somebody's life so um i definitely feel you on that it's hard because and social media is definitely the the biggest um, problem with comparing yourself because like you said you know everybody shows their their best body or their best lifestyle like you know how many times have you seen out in public you know people a couple fighting but then you know they, they take a great picture together and it looks <laughs> yeah. like they're so happy <laughs> yeah. like you know it's just not real it's just not it's like reality tv you yeah know? yeah that's exactly right um oh man yeah that's such such great advice and in particular you know every every minute you spend worrying about comparing yourself to others is a minute taken away from helping people and and ultimately right. we're all here to help uh people and and so that's where we should be putting all of our energy so yeah i really like that analogy um and yeah. the, the, i think if you're improving every day kind of last thing on that is that if you're improving every day um it doesn't matter what that improvement is if it's if it's a 0.1 percent improvement mm-hmm. if you're getting better every day then i don't think there's anything that you should be upset about with yourself yeah and i guess the the caveat to that is that the only person you can compare yourself is is to you so 
just yep. be better than yourself and be one percent better than exactly. yesterday um so so at the end of the podcast i really love uh getting like a big question and so i guess you're probably um most suited to answer this big question because of the uh, the book that you've written on it um what is your number one tip so if to just start out if you're currently in a weight loss stall and you've and you've identified it as being a weight loss stall then what is the first thing that you should do in order to um move forward and it doesn't have to be um trying to fix it straight away but what is the first thing that you should either analyze or do to put you in the right direction yeah i think um it's a there's an if then component to that question um if you're not tracking, then I think you should, the first step is, is tracking your carbs. Cause like we said, I think that sometimes we, we fall victim to that carb creep. Um, but if you are tracking, I think it's dairy. Mm. Um, for me, 75%, you know, something like 70 to 75% of the population don't possess the enzymes to digest dairy and, and dairy has a lot of, you know, pro-inflammatory components to it. So I think that, you know, for most people, it's dairy that can be what's causing your thing. So if, if it's not carb, your total carb intake, then it's probably dairy. Mm, yeah. And I've found firsthand that cutting out dairy, uh, is is very beneficial but it also can be kind of mm-hmm. difficult on the ketogenic diet because there are so much uh, like to try and get that fat macro up as as where mm-hmm. you you know deemed you've deemed works for you uh w- once you cut dairy out it's actually quite hard to hit that fat macro again so but uh what i think is some good advice is trying to do it with coconut so coconut cream coconut milk uh coconut oil mm-hmm. um, mct oil mct oil is fantastic um, and you know that the, there's some really great dairy-free op- options out there as well. You can go to my website and just select the option dairy-free, and it comes up with a whole bunch of recipes. Uh, and I'm sure you've got some really great recipes as well. Uh, some ideas about going yeah. dairy-free as well. So um, yeah, I, I really wanted to just thank you for being on the podcast. I've really enjoyed this podcast, and I'm I'm just going to say this right now. Like this is probably one of the be- best podcasts I've done, which is fantastic. <laughs> Um, wow thank you that's awesome (laughs) yeah just some really really great nutritional information uh and and you know maybe it's bias being a little bit biased because we (laughs) see see eye to eye with a lot of issues which is fantastic (laughs) um you know maybe some some people have already dipped out on the podcast uh (laughs) but for those who yeah they might have got annoyed with us yeah (laughs) for those who are listening or still listening um uh you know we wanted to thank you so much for being on the podcast yeah, thank you so much. I, I appreciate having me on today. I'm a, like I said, I'm a, I'm a big fan of your work, and uh, I can't get away from you because everybody that I come across that's doing keto, they're cooking your recipes. So uh, if I didn't like you, I wouldn't be able to get away from you anyway. Uh, it's it's my tactic, just being everywhere in everyone's <laughs> mind. <laughs> that's right. Well, thank, thanks so much, Chris, for coming on the podcast. Where can people find you? Where can people get more uh, information from you? Um, I'm sorry, I totally forgot about that question. Where where can people uh, get in yeah. contact with you and, and potentially get the the three phase? Ah, um, oh, damn it! I lost the the three phase DIY keto protein, uh, plateau buster. Yeah, so the the plateau buster can be found on my website, theketologist.com, um, which is always a work in progress. Um, the content up there, I think, is pretty good, but the uh, the aesthetics are always in need of some improvement. 
Um, so that's one spot. And then Instagram is the other one. If, if anybody has questions, that's the best place to contact me. Um, I'm pretty horrible on Facebook and I'm not great with email. So um, <laughs> the best place to, to respond to ask me a question is going to be probably on Instagram. So, and that's uh, at the ketologist. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll link all of the stuff that we've explained in the show notes, uh, all the books and all of your links. Um, and uh, so if you're looking for those links, definitely check the show notes. It should be available in the podcast app that you're using uh, simply by clicking on the episode or going to um, whatever show notes you can find in that particular app. So again, thanks, Chris, so much. And I'm sure I'll be speaking to you soon. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this podcast, make sure you hit subscribe to be notified next week when the podcast arrives. If you could do one small act of kindness for today, I would greatly appreciate a review from you. It's really easy and it allows me to keep making podcasts just like this one every week just for you. Head on over to fatforweightloss.com.au forward slash podcasts for the latest updates and all the show notes. Until next week.